Blog Talk Radio. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again. We are exploding, the world is gonna know it. We rock it like you're never gonna see us again. Come on over. Come on over. Good evening, everyone. It is 11 p.m. and Pure Gold is live and on the air for this Tuesday night, April 11th. 2017. Woo! Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything. It tells it like it is. My name is JB. I'm here in New Jersey, and my tag team partner is all the way over in Tennessee. Sir, how are you? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how we do Wait, how about this? Wow, that clip is brutally loud. My goodness, let's try that again. That's too low. How about this? Wait, no, wait a second. No, wait a second, David. Wait, David, David. First of all, play the floor. Wait, first of all, wait a second. Wait a second, David. First second, let me stop. Wait a second, David. You just made the list. Nice. <laughs> oh. Stupid idiot. That's exactly what I think of you, sir. How are you doing this evening? It's been a long time. We have not done pure gold. And, uh, I mean, geez, I don't even think we know how long it's been. But we are back tonight better than ever, folks. This is DG of the Pure Gold team. For all the millions and millions of people out there listening in Blog Talk Radio Land on the interwebs, can't wait to get this show started. Folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the show, give us a call. Um... 877-633-9003. We're sure tons of you are going to be calling in, so of course there's that. Check out our website, which has not been updated in about close to a year, puregoldpg.com. JB, we have a lot going on tonight, sir. How excited are you? <laughs> oh, wow, well, we well, wasn't very nice. <laughs> well, oh, see. baby. Starting from the top, I think we have a new president of the United States. <laughs> that's one. <laughs> yeah, but that's one, one thing. <laughs> the baseball season is underway, and, uh, yeah, we'll talk some wrestling because we are losers. <laughs> oh, definitely, we are losers. And, again, there's, I'm sure that there's so much to cover, sir. I mean, so many different things. Um, we have a guest tonight, of course. We have Amy Rodriguez from Channel 12 in the Bronx, so uh, – should be exciting to have her on. I mean, we could talk wrestling with her, sir, because she's a huge WWE fan, so we can get into all that. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk. I think we should talk Mets first because if I'm not mistaken, I think I think the Mets hit a couple home runs tonight. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. Did you hear about that? Yeah, it seems like whenever the Mets are in a slump, and usually they, they don't start out really hot with their bats, they usually go to Philadelphia and they their bats wake up. And uh, tonight, um, a couple of bats woke up tonight. You know, Jose Cespedes hit three home runs, and uh, oh, it was quite impressive. Wait, I'm sorry, who? Jose Cespedes. Who, who, who the hell is Jose Cespedes? I was wondering if you were awake. 
Uh, you know, from <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yoannis Reyes and Jose Cespedes. I love those guys. They're my favorite uh, Latino ball players. <laughs> so yeah, Cespedes woke up. I mean, I'm not a big guy on compiling. Like I know Cespedes is a great bat, and I'm glad that they resigned him. Obviously, three home runs in one night. The Mets don't need that. They won 14 to four. I think the big storyline coming out tonight, though, sir is that uh, Matt Harvey left with a tight hamstring. Hopefully he will not miss a start. Oh, his career is probably over. I mean, this is a match. They'll misdiagnose it. I have a tight <laughs> hamstring, and uh, next thing you know, he'll pretty much have, need to have his leg amputated. So I'm exactly. looking forward to that. Can't can't wait till that happens. So, um, yeah, honestly, I have absolutely no faith in the Mets, and I'm sure this is going to be something much worse than what we think it is because it's the Mets. <laughs> it's the Mets, exactly. But the season's underway, and the Mets are five and three. You know, typical Mets—they uh, they open up at home and lose two out of three to a team that they should be dominating over the Miami Marlins. So that that got me quite annoyed. I don't know if you caught that over the weekend. They, and I only bring that up well, because I think our guest um, is a Miami Marlins well, fan. Technically, well, that's true. Technically, sir, I mean the Mets opened up at home against the Atlanta Bravos, which is nice because living where I live, I'm actually able to see all that, which is great. Um, you know, watch the games live and whatnot. So the Mets beat the, the Braves, and then of course they go to Miami or Miami was Miami in Miami was in City Field, right? They the Mets were yep. yes, the Mets yep. were home. So the Mets lose two out of three of them because the Mets are awful against the Marlins for some strange reason. And of course now you know starting off against Los Los uh, Phillies, which is good because they need to lose SmackDown on the scum turds. Um, I'm just excited that the Mets are doing, you know, decent, I guess. But I agree with you. I mean, you know, these multi-home runs, these slop fests, I hate them because then the Mets score 14 runs today. They'll score 14 runs over the next 13 games. I mean, you know, stuff like that drives me nuts, but I am happy that the Mets were able to get the job done. I'm happy they scored. Uh, you know, they were able to score runs for Matt Harvey, and, of course, he gets injured when the Mets finally figure out how to score runs for him. The interesting thing is, and I can't believe this, in the Mets' history, and the Mets have been around for, let me see, uh, let me, let, me, let me try to let me try to figure this out on the fly here. The Mets have been around for 55 years. You know, but how is it possible that Yohannes Cespedes is the first Met ever to have multiple three-hit home run games? That's unbelievable. It is when you think about. I guess. I mean, off the top of your head, I mean, I would think Piazza would have done it, right? I I, I can't think of many more people other than Piazza that could have done it as a Met. Right. Um, well, as far as. Met home runs. I don't even know if Piazza did it. I'm gonna look this up. I'll tell you right now. Uh, we'll have I our mean, Kev- crack staff figure this out. Yeah, Dave Kingman did it. I know that. Yeah, if it wasn't him, it, it, yeah, um, it, wasn't him, it had to be Kevin McReynolds. So I mean. Oh yeah, Kevin. of course, Kevin McReynolds. I mean, we all know what a what a ridiculous, you know, uh, powerhouse he was. Well, obviously we know that Kirk. What the hell's his name? Kirk Newenheist did it. He was the first Met ever to do it at yep. home, which was last year, if I'm not mistaken, or two years ago. Um, so we're going to go down the list here. Um, Jim Hickman did it in 1965 when you were just a uh, twinkle in your yeah. mom's eye. Uh, Dave Kingman that. did it in 76. Of course, you were, you know, about, you were in high school back then. Claudia yeah, Washington, yeah. you know, the, the great Claudia Washington did it. Oh, definitely. Uh, Daryl Darryl Strawberry did it, of course, which is surprising that Daryl didn't do it more than one time. But he did right. it in 85. Gary Carter also did it in 85. Edgardo Alfonso, of all people, did it in in 99. Jose Reyes did it. I believe this was right before he left the Mets the first time. Um, you know, when he was there and he left, he did it. Carlos Beltran did it. Ike Davis did it. That was great back wow. in 2012. Then Kirk Neuenheis and Lucas Duda. Interestingly enough, no Mets had ever done it at home. And then uh, in 2015, 
two years ago, two weeks apart, actually, which is interesting, almost exactly two years, two weeks apart. Newen Heights did it, and then Duda both did it at home. And now Cespedes did it in 2015, and your boy did it today, amazingly enough. So, yeah, I mean, Cespedes is the only guy to ever do it more than one time, which is interesting because, like I said, you would have thought that he would have done it, like, you know, guys would have done it at least two times by now. Yeah. So early on, the Mets are off to a decent start, five and three. And again, they're they're playing teams right now in their division, teams that they should be beating, because I think that Washington. It's going to be a two a two team race, honestly. Uh, you look at it. I think Washington will be there at the end, and hopefully the Mets with their pitching. Um, I don't really have much faith in their bullpen already, and I know that it's only eight games in, but I, I don't like their bullpen. I just I don't know. Something about it just it doesn't. It's not appealing. Their starting pitching is hopefully going to stay healthy, and I just think their offense is is mediocre. So I, I you know, we have expectations, but I, I don't know realistically how much of an expectation you can have with this team, other than hopefully their starting pitching proves to have like three or four aces on the staff. Yeah, I don't honestly. I gotta tell you, I don't have a ton of hope, only because I mean it is the Mets. The Mets always tend to disappoint us, but um, I just think the Mets the the their lineup is not built to win consistently. They're built extremely streaky, as they've proven in just these what eight games this year. So I don't have confidence in them. Plus the fact that they didn't make any, they did not make a single offensive improvement to the team. They literally brought back the exact same lineup they had last year, and Conforto hardly ever plays. I mean, Conforto hit a, a bomb, a 430-foot absolute moonshot the other day, and of course he doesn't play. And you got to put an old mother Granderson in there, who you know this guy is. Uh, he was great two years ago when the Mets made it to the World Series. You know, for most of the year, he was pretty consistent. But, you know, his time with the Mets has been very inconsistent, very streaky, just like the rest of these guys. Plus, he's older. He has absolutely no upside. And they may as well just play Conforto until he drops. But, of course, that's not going to happen. So, the Mets will be sucking it up big time, as uh, you know, as it were. Well, before tonight's out- offensive outburst by the uh, by Cespedes, uh, Jay Bruce has been really carrying this team offensively. I mean, nothing, yep. they've gotten nothing out of Jose Reyes. And they've got nothing, nope, nothing really at all. Do to do Yeah, so I think when, Jay Bruce... Let me ask you uh, this. Sir, yeah. when did you ever think, and I mean ever, that Jay Bruce would be the guy carrying the Mets team? I mean, he's been great. And I said this the other day. I said it to my brother. I like, you know what? If Bruce did this last year when he came up, if he had hit like he's hitting right now, Mets fans would have loved him. I mean, I know they compare him to, uh, um, what's his name, to Jason Babe. What do you say? But at the end of the day, I mean, Bruce has been he's been great. I mean, he's hitting like 300, if I'm not – I was looking at the stats earlier. He's hitting over 300. He has, you know, four homers, however many RBIs. I think eight RBIs at this point. He even had two RBIs tonight. But anyway, we're going to have to table that talk for a minute because uh, I believe we are being joined by our wonderful guest. Folks, we are proud and privileged, and I'm a little out of uh, – What's the word out of practice? Because, it, you know, it's been a while. We've been on hiatus. And this is somebody that I've been talking to for a while and trying to get in the show. We're very grateful, proud, privileged, honored. I mean, words can't A-Rod. describe the joy A-Rod. that we feel. Yes, A-Rod. A-Rod. Uh, not that A-Rod. But we're joined by Amy Rodriguez, who is a reporter for News 12 in the Bronx. Amy, how are you doing this evening? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm happy that we finally were able to arrange this. Yes, yes, so are we. We're really just thankful to have you on. And, you know, normally I just go, when I do introductions, I'm pretty famous for just going on and on and kind of rambling on. So I didn't want to do that tonight because, again, it had been uh, quite a long journey to get you on the program. But, Amy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's late. 
of course. So we appreciate you giving us some time. Now, there's a lot of things we want to discuss because you, interestingly enough, um, you're kind of like a jack of all trades, or I guess a jill of all trades would be more accurate, where obviously you have your job that you do, but you're also a big-time fan of one of our main topics, which is wrestling, which we'll get into that later, and you also into sports and, you know, things of that nature. So you're, you're definitely unique because uh, usually with our guests, we kind of will have the one topic and branch off if, if the conversation goes that way. But with you, we definitely plan on talking about a lot of things. Now, Amy, uh, tell us, with, with so many different things, of course, you know, uh, like I said, Jill of all trades, how did you get into being a reporter for, uh, for Channel 12? I mean, you know, you obviously, you know, are, are, you know for the fans who know, you're not originally from the, the New York area. So tell us kind of, you know, give us a journey, I guess, a, a brief journey, if you could, of what led you to where you are now. Yeah, definitely. So for me, it kind of all started in um, basically I, I always joke with my friends, you know, little girl in Havana, Cuba. I, I was born in Cuba originally. My family came to the U.S. Um, in 1997. And, um, you know, I was very into the things that happened locally in the community. My family was always very into watching the news, and it's something that I grew up loving. And uh, that growth and that love, turned into a career I decided to go to New York City and pursue that I came to school in uh, Pleasantville in Pace University in Westchester and I decided you know to go for my master's I eventually then ended up interning at News 12 in Westchester and then finally after doing kind of many different uh jobs within the company, I was able to uh, start reporting and kind of do, you know, my dreams came true and in the big city, uh, kind of, you know, like Frank Sinatra says in his song. And um, so basically, you know, I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm living the dream and I'm reporting on those local issues that I kind of grew up watching as, as a little kid. So I'm very blessed in that I get, you know, wake up and do what I love every day. Very good, Amy. And speaking of, you know, achieving your dream, I think me and Dave, it's safe to say that our our dream is to eventually make it to the big times, whether uh, it's on a serious radio station or just uh, radio in general, because we just love talking uh, sports and everything in between. Um, but just tell me, when you say your dream, what what is the ultimate dream for you? I mean, this can't be the ultimate dream. I mean, tell us what the ultimate dream is. Yeah, I mean, of course, there there are ultimate dreams. Uh, my ultimate dream definitely would be to go back home. I, you know, I would love to just report in that local station that I grew up watching as a little kid. Um, it's it's kind of bittersweet at the same point at the same time because New York has very much become home as well. So you know, I, there is that kind of side of me now that I am from New York and I've married a New Yorker. You know, last September that. The dream could go either way, uh, but definitely local news, whether it is at a big local station in New York City or in Miami back home. Well, what's interesting, Amy, is that I know you and I, um, you and I have talked quite a bit, and uh, I know politics is one of the, pretty much like the one topic that we agree that we weren't going to get into. I, I don't want to ask you a quote-unquote political question, but I'm I just out of honestly utter curiosity over my you know my entire life being of Puerto Rican descent. You know, knowing many, many Cubans over the years, you know, everybody kind of has their own different opinions and whatnot. Um, and you being born in Cuba, most people I know, their their parents were born in Cuba. But in your case, obviously, you were born there, as you just mentioned. Um, obviously, you know, recently, uh, I guess not so recently, but Fidel Castro passed away, and that was a big deal. You know, Cuba 
has always kind of been in the spotlight uh, in a political sense and, you know, over the world because of everything going on there and the trade embargo being lifted, you know, all the history between the U.S. and Cuba that I, I don't want to get into. Um, but just out of curiosity, I mean, with your family, you being from there originally, what was that like? Because, I mean, I don't think I've ever spoken to a Cuban who, who was a fan of his or whose parents were a fan. Because, again, most people who left that country came here uh, to get away from kind of everything. But, you know, you see things on the news. You see um, – I'm, I'm really trying to avoid this being political. But you see things on the news. You see when Castro passed away, there was a lot of people almost praising him um, as, you know, free education for Cuba, this and that. Again, being Hispanic – and being, you know, part of the Caribbean, everything I have ever heard in my life from any Cuban I've ever met, and that, it's a lot, has always been negative about Fidel. Yeah, it's always, um, it's always been a very um, complicated subject with many Cubans, um, and even with Cubans themselves, you know, new generation Cubans and old school Cubans that actually, you know, suffered through a lot of that crisis back in, in the 50s, in 1958 when he took over, Um there, there is a divide of how people feel, but I think most people would agree that, you know, it, in, in the, to, you know, the statistics and the history of it, basically to the naked eye, the people that don't really know, the people that didn't live it, it seems like, you know, free education, free health care is a good thing. Right, right. But there's kind of a window and a blindfold that people didn't see. And it's what, you know, we saw growing up where, you know, you woke up and there wasn't any food and people had to kind of fight for, for a living. And, you know, my mom raised me saying, well, you can't say that you have family in the U S or we'll get in trouble. So you had kind of, you know, there was no freedom of of speech. There was certain things that you couldn't say. And there was a lot of oppression. That reality is still there today even though there has been a lot of changes. The other thing is, is that even now with the embargo and the changes, there's uh, the reality that the internet is very scarce there. You know, there are now right. opening small Wi-Fi spots and hotspot spot, uh, uh, hot spot spots, but at the end <laughs> of the day, it's not like you could just get your phone and look at all your information, and the information that people are getting is oppressed by the country so it's only what you're allowed to see so the opinions that you're allowed to form and those things that you're allowed to feel are government controlled so that's still a reality today whether you know the U.S. is involved or not so I don't think a lot of changes will come um, in the near future there there may be some changes as far as you know now more more people are going and it's it's great for you know economy wise because more people are traveling country but well, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of damage was done in the past, you know, sixty-something years. What's interesting is that my wife is from Venezuela, and um, her her country is basically going down the gutter, literally and figuratively, in every sense of the word. I mean, you know, everything you see on the news, the food is scarce, people don't have anything, you know. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, people, the United States has its critics, and you know, family members. My wife went to. Colombia a couple years ago because her parents are both originally from Colombia. They migrated to Venezuela and then they had a family, you know, all the kids are born there. So there's that mixture of the two countries, but you know, you, you t- them talking, the Americans here, quote unquote, you know, those who all came to this country um, and became American citizens and everything else, which is all her siblings, you know, they're, they're, for them, they're very pro-America. And then you have her cousins from other countries, you know, who are, 
who are like anti whatever, anti America, and then think their country's so great. But when you look at it again from the outside and just the, what you see, it, things are bad. You know, uh, recently there was some talk about I think the Supreme Court in uh, in, in Venezuela was going to take over the country, which is a bad thing. Um, you know, Maduro being president, be, being voted out, but still staying president. You had the whole thing with, of course, um, you know, the communist dictator, uh, you know, who was there recently, and then he passed away, who was a good friend of, of you know, uh, Hugo Chavez, who was a good friend of Fidel Castro's. It's interesting because um, the reason I bring all that up, other than family, is I remember several years ago when Hugo was still alive, my dad actually traveling to Venezuela, and he was stuck in the country. He couldn't fly back to the United States for several days because the U.S. ambassador to Venezuela was thrown out of the country. And, you know, you're talking about oppression and everything. And I guess from my sense, just kind of, you know, seeing it and hearing it from that. And it's interesting when you see that so many things that we take for granted in this country and we talk about freedom of speech, everybody criticizing the president, not criticizing the president, whatever. But then you look at these other countries, Hispanic countries, countries, you know, near to your heart, near to my heart, obviously. Um, so many terrible things going on that to me at the end of the day, when you look at it, as bad as things may seem at times here in the U.S., I would pick – if I had a hundred opportunities, I would pick a hundred times to live here versus living in, in countries that tend to, you know, especially, you know, my family, Puerto Rico near bankruptcy all the time. There just seems to be so many issues in other countries that it really makes me appreciate, especially the Spanish ones. Uh, it makes me appreciate what we have here in the U S. Oh, definitely. I mean, the United States is, is the, you know, the American dream and the greatest country in, in the whole world, you know, it's the free world. And, you know, Back to Venezuela, it's it is you know the fact that Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro right. were such good friends, and he modeled you know his country and his own dictatorship, so to speak, yep. um, in that in the model of Fidel. And if you look at you know the history of Venezuela in the past ten fifteen years, what's happened has been you know that lack of media. The first thing that went was the media. So the minute right. you attack the media, it's is a is a way that you know, you have to really, really start being careful because that's, you know, your media is supposed to be your watchdog for those politicians. They're supposed to be in the best interest of the people. So that should always be the goal in order for your country to be to be free and to be safe. And, and I think in, in a way, just to kind of, you know, go full circle, that's probably why I always had such an interest in media and in being able to tell other people's stories because I grew up in a country where I wasn't allowed to speak and, you know, if pamphlets flew from from the rooftops and there were anti-government, we had to hide because if they saw us picking up those pamphlets, we would be able, we would get arrested. So I think it's just that fact of that oppression of not being able to say what you need to say and not speak out against those people that have no voice that uh, made me so passionate about going into the business that I'm in. Now, now, Amy and Dave, I, I gotta say the last couple minutes have been very insightful in terms of just giving us a great background on, like, you know, the history of of Cuba, Venezuela, and uh, everything else. And now I, I, I get to, I, I don't even know how to switch gears because eventually we're gonna start talking about <laughs> sports entertainment, and uh, that that kind of stuff is uh, is just so. Um, yeah, exactly. But before we get to that, because I'm gonna let Dave lead into that today. I think ironically today is like four four one one day, which is like April eleventh. So it's four one. It's about information. It's good to have you on, Amy. But let me ask you this: um, tomorrow, when you wake up tomorrow, give me give me a typical day in the life of Amy in terms of what what you're going to do tomorrow and prep for your for, for your job. And uh, what what do you think is going to be the hot topic story that you want to focus on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, well. 
coincidentally, tomorrow's my day off, so I plan to just relax and sleep. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's pretend tomorrow is actually a work day. Um, yeah. I wake up very early, uh, just for the simple fact, you know, if my if my start time is at eight o'clock, I probably need to wake up at like five, because being on camera means that we have to put about a pound of makeup on and hair products on in order to be, you know, a okay and camera ready. So that's kind of the part that isn't that I don't love about my job. It's a lot of work. Um, a lot of people have the misconception that, you know, we have makeup artists and hair people and do it all. We do it ourselves. So, um, you know, definitely wake up, get ready, drive to work. And it really depends. My day can go any which way, which is one of the things I love about my job. I'm never in an office, and I'm never doing the same thing every single day. So it's kind of all all surprises. Anything could change. We could wake up tomorrow and there could be breaking news, whether it's a fire, whether, you know, hopefully not a murder, but sometimes that happens. So whatever the story is that day, it's kind of full gear and go there. Um, yesterday I was in court all day. Um, so my day ended up being, you know, went to court at 8 in the morning and the court case was never seen until 4 o'clock. So it was just spending all day in court waiting for that, you know, court case to happen. So it's really unpredictable. Now, Amy, well, that well, sounds unpredictable. <laughs> it does. One more question before we get again into the probably the fun part of the interview and just talking about wrestling because uh, me and Dave just like to talk about wrestling, unfortunately. And uh, glad you're on because, <laughs> you know, I probably don't want to talk to him about wrestling only, so it's good to have you on to talk about wrestling. Um, give me the one story that really um, that you, you'll you never forget, like the, the one story that – um, either was really touching or really fun to do. Just give me the story that comes to your head. Which is your favorite story and why? My favorite story was definitely a story I did recently, and it was a good-hearted, good-feel story, feel-good story. We cover a lot of, you know, crime or negative things that are happening in the community, and sometimes it's good to just get away from that. And this is, this is actually a story that I found I interviewed the man, I shot it, I wrote it, and I was in charge of it, so I really got a chance to just take full control of it, and the final product was that much more rewarding. And it was the story of a UPS driver. He is, you know, close to 90, and he's been doing this job for, you know, over 30 years, has never been in a car accident, even though he drives all over New York City. And it was just remarkable to see how this, UPS driver goes about his day every single day, is in no rush to retire when we're all kind of, you know, hoping for that retirement and, you know, go <laughs> go travel the world. And everyone in that block knows this man's name. And it was just so great that everyone was just like, yeah, you know, it's never the same when he doesn't come here and deliver the mail. So I think that was my favorite story. And I ended up doing it in the snow and I know a lot of my coworkers joked, you know, the day that you go do the story, he's going to get into his first car accident ever. You're going to jinx him. But luckily he hasn't. And uh, Ronnie McKnight is his name. So hopefully, you know, he may be retiring soon. But for now, he's really loving life and doing his job every day. You know what's interesting, Amy, is other than obviously what we're talking about, one thing that I was thinking about, I'm not a huge fan of the news. And it doesn't matter what station, doesn't matter you know, whether it's the liberal media, conservative media, whatever the case is, you know, Channel 5, Channel 2, whatever. And the reason is because when I watch the news, it's, 
not that I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to like uh, attack it per se because I mean I have my own opinions on it. But what I tend to see as a parent, you know, I have you know two children, and uh, I look at things and I'm like, man, you know, this things always seem to be so negative, and you see this person got murdered, this person got shot, this person got this, this person got that. You know, obviously the big thing in the news now is the United Airlines passenger who got you know abused. I don't even know what word you can use, but abused. Um, with the flight and getting kicked off and everything else. And just kind of, it's interesting because I remember years ago, um, you wouldn't hear about all these kind of behind the scenes things. And you wouldn't hear the immediate reaction to things like you do now where, you know, you have the, the CEO of United. He got absolutely obliterated on social media because of his original statement, which he then had to follow it up later on in the day with another statement where he kind of like totally reversed course on it. And, again, you just see all these kind of terrible things. And I guess my question to you is, again, me, somebody on the outside looking in, I, I'm not a huge fan of the media because of it, because I, all I see is a lot of just bad stories. And I get that this stuff happens. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't report it, but it just seems like that's all that I see. So in your situation, somebody who clearly this is your job, this is what you do for a living, this is your bread and butter, um, does it get to you sometimes? Does, does all the, the terrible stuff that you see and being in the Bronx, being in New York, I mean, you know, I lived in New Jersey my entire life up until recently, and there's just a lot of, it seems like a lot of bad things that happen there. Um, do you, does it get to you sometimes, or you just kind of brush it off? I think that um, most most of the news, news reporters or anyone in the business that you ask um, that have been doing this for a while will answer the same way. It is, as bad as it sounds, you do end up getting desensitized, at, at, you know, to a certain extent. Um, you do hear it about every single day. So you have to physically learn how to kind of detach yourself from certain situations. Otherwise, you will have a, a mental breakdown. If you let every single story get to you, um, it's definitely not, not healthy. Uh, you know, I know that there are certain times that you can't avoid it, you know. I've been at, for example, uh, Fahey, the, um, the firefighter that, that was killed in the explosion in the Bronx, that was a story that really got to me. I, I was there at the, at the funeral and I covered his funeral. I covered his wake and, you know, I then went to a Mets game and when I went to the Mets game, his family was throwing the first pitch that day oh, wow. as, you know, as, as a memorial to him, the, the Mets did that because he was a big Mets fan. So I was there enjoying the game, and I saw this. And it's, it, for me, it was like they were following me, and I was following them on this journey of their loss. And I just broke down. And, you know, it's one of those things that the stories sometimes do get to you and it's at a very personal level because you feel that loss. Um, but other times you just have no choice but to just try to detach yourself to it because you'd be very depressed every single day. Sometimes you go – your stories are negative stories every single day. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. I look at things, and again, what I see as a parent, it's, it's like I tell my wife all the time. Uh, there was a movie that came out. I forget what it was called. I think it was called Hostages. I could be mistaken because I know there's a Bruce Willis movie called Hostage, but it was a movie with, uh, I think, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I think my first daughter had just been born around that time or somewhere in the, in the relatively you know vicinity of it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why the hell would I want to watch this movie, you know, now as a, as a parent? And I look at things so differently now being a parent because I'm like, man, I can't, 
I can't watch certain things. I can't do certain things. I can't, uh, you know, get involved in certain things because I'm like, man, you know, there's so many things that I see that will make me think things or something's going to happen. And before I was, I was uh, a parent, I didn't think that way. I, I just said, you know, whatever, I watched whatever pretty much. He was a big horror movie guy growing up as a kid. I, I can't watch that anymore. You know, um, I remember just so many different things and I just didn't care. But now I see the world through a different lens and I see the movie, you know, I see movies, whatever I watch, I try to be careful because I don't want to get, put myself in that place of, you know, man, now I'm going to start obsessing over something that happened to my kids or, you know, and, and I guess that, that the reason that I asked that question is because of that, because to me, I just, I don't know if I would be able to handle that kind of day to day, unless I was doing sports, you know, which of course I would love to do. Um, I just couldn't imagine not letting it get to me. So that's kind of why uh, I, I asked that question. And, you know, folks, uh, for those of you listening, we're talking to Amy Rodriguez, reporter for News 12 in the Bronx. Um, interestingly enough, Amy is not a Yankees fan. I know that uh, you're, you're <laughs> when you first came, you're in the Bronx, of course. When you first came here, you, you know, you mentioned to me um, Miami and, you know, that area. And uh, your husband, interestingly enough, great man that he is, is a Mets fan. So what's that like? I mean, obviously, you know, there's not this, 50-year, 80-year blood feud between the Mets and the, and the Marlins, per se, but what's that like? I mean, they were, before you came on, we were just talking about the Mets playing the Marlins this weekend, so, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting in our household, uh, especially, you know, just just a few days ago, the, the Mets and the Marlins did win, uh, well, did play each other. The, Mar- the Marlins win a couple games. I, I made sure to throw it in his face. And oh, I proudly take the couch. <laughs> I proudly take the couch whenever Marlins win, and I rub it in his face. I'll take that any day. Um, it's it's fun for us, you know. It's we both kind of kid around that are we are both fans of losing teams in a way because oh, of course. we haven't you know <laughs> haven't won in a while and are you know at least my managers and my team owners are known to kind of sell all their good players off after a good, uh, good season. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it is what it is when it comes to that. We we're pretty good at, I'm, I'm a big, just overall baseball fan. I love the game. I love the stories that the baseball just brings, whether it's, you know, that, that winning Cinderella story, so I, you know, for example, last year I, I loved watching, you know, Chicago win. Um, right. So it's it, it's just that full story sometimes it's, you just watch it unfold and you're just like, I can't believe that this happened and it's only in baseball. And, you know, I always feel like it's a movie waiting to be written. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good in our house. We, we kid around a lot about it, uh, our we just like I mentioned before, we just got married in September, so we we took our pictures when we got engaged, and I made sure to to wear my Marlins hat, and he wore his, and uh, we kind of just rock that. We still represent our teams, and when we go, I will say when I go to Mets games, the Mets fans are very nice to me, even if I wear my Marlins gear. So I appreciate that, but I do sometimes rock the Mets if I wear Cespedes, because like I mentioned to you, the times that we've spoken, yeah. I do. You know, rock my Cuban baseball players. <laughs> and he's well, a pretty well, good one, I have to admit. I'm not yeah. sure if you noticed tonight, but he had a couple, he had one or two or maybe three home runs uh, this evening. So, uh, 
Mr. Cespedes is a pretty decent Cuban baseball player. <laughs> he is. He's great. I actually, you know, I I was following on Twitter because I was watching the um, the Marlins uh, home opener tonight, uh, opening night at the park. And I don't know if you guys heard, but it was pretty interesting with uh, the feline intrusion at the Marlins park. No, I didn't hear about didn't, that. Didn't hear that? Well, <laughs> Uh, basically, a cat showed up in the middle of nowhere and stopped the game for uh, part <laughs> part of the game. The cat climbs up the fence, uh, so that was pretty interesting. Check it out on Twitter; it's going viral as the hashtag Rally Cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's interesting, Amy. You, you mentioned about the Miami Marlins and how they, you know, they win a championship and then they dismantle the team. But the the, the fact that you have two World Series titles. And compared to me and Dave, who've been lifelong Met fans, and have only really had one because we weren't born in '69, so we were born. You know, he vaguely remembers '86, and I do remember '86 because I, I was nine five. years old. I don't remember. Yeah, anything. you were five. Yeah. So the fact that you have two championships, I mean, I, what I, what I wouldn't give to be the um, a Miami Marlins fan in that regard because you you did get two titles, and now what's interesting, I'll, I'll probably break this news to you unless you know, but do you know who's interested in potentially buying the Miami Marlins? Oh yes, I know Jeter. Yes, yes. I know that I, that's definitely exciting to, for me. Um, someone that I think would actually appreciate, you know, owning owning a team. Um, hopefully, I don't get any backlash for that. But you know, it's interesting because <laughs> you guys sound you guys sound like my husband. My husband rubs that on my uh, rubs that all the time. He says, you know, you you live to see two. I actually only live to see one. I was I came to the U.S. in September of 1997, so I when they won the World see, Series, yeah. yeah, I didn't actually see that win. Um, I was in Cuba, and they don't really, you know, they don't play base the U.S. baseball in Cuba, right? So I didn't see that win. Um, but in 20 uh, uh, 2003, when they won, I was 13, so I did enjoy, you know, going out to the streets and uh, Cubans celebrate by hitting pots and pans in the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely took part in that. So that was that was a good time. But I I've been a part of all the kind of the the Mets uh, championships when they not championships but close to you know when when they hit the conference right. last the last couple of years. And I've gone yeah. with my husband and I do kind of enjoy it and I do cheer them on because I can you know they haven't won in so long and I I think that you know you guys have a pretty good chance. You guys have a great team. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, we're, we're Mets fans, so we never – Joe and I are very negative. We never think we have a good team. It's funny because before, um, you know, I was talking to Amy and I was trying to get her information, you know, to, hey, make sure you call in, blah, 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 you know, just kind of getting her ready for tonight, getting her, her psyched up. And somebody tells me uh, – I look online and I see somebody talking about Noah needing surgery, shoulder surgery, and he's going to be out four to six months, and I flipped out because I thought this person was talking about Noah Syndergaard. Because this person's a Mets fan. Turns out he was talking about uh, Joe Kim Noah from the Knicks. And the Knicks are a hot mess, but I don't even want to go into the Knicks. But he says, <laughs> I, I literally freaked out. I was like, are you kidding me? And they put something about how, you know, they knew. He never specified ball. They knew that he had this problem in December, blah, blah, blah. And I started thinking, oh, man, this is typical Mets. And I, I was like, Joe hasn't told me about it, so I, I got to find out. But because the Mets are famous. They are world famous for a player supposedly injured. It's a minor thing. Like uh, he has a, uh, what is it, like a hangnail. And his left foot, and then it turns out that you know a week later, oh, he's you know he needs surgery, and then two weeks later, oh, he has to, he's gonna have to have his foot amputated. It turns out the Mets just botch these things, and they turn these little things into these big things, and 
So when I, I heard about that, I was freaking out because I literally thought uh, Noah Syndergaard was going to be gone for the entire season. Turns out, thank goodness, it wasn't him. I mean, not that obviously I, I, I'm happy about uh, Joe Kim Noah being hurt, but at the end of the day, Joe and I always talk about, like, the negative side and, you know, worrying about them and the pitching being shaky because everybody's coming back from injury and the lineup being the same. So, I mean, 2015 – I remember watching that and the Mets going to the World Series and I was telling Joe, oh man, the Mets are going to win. No way. The Mets are going to win in five games. I was so pumped up. I had a party at my house for opening, you know, the first game of the World Series. Didn't go so well. Pretty much like threw the people out of my house. And ever since, ever after that moment, it was just a straight hill, a straight shot downhill. So Amy, when you talk about us having a good shot, when you talk about the Mets, you know, the positive side, I just, I don't see it. Until the Mets are hanging a World Series banner up next year in City Field, you know, World Series champions, I won't believe it. I, I just can't because the Mets, the Mets, all I know about the Mets is heartbreak and pain. They're like, they're like that bad relationship you get into and you just keep coming back for more. They keep kicking you the curve. They keep, you know, treating you bad and cheating on you and you just keep coming back for more. That's what the Mets are to me, Amy suffering and pain yeah I mean I definitely understand that and I feel you I know so many fans so many Met fans that feel the exact (laughs) same way but at the same time I will say very different to to my Marlins which I love I think New York fans are the most incredible loyal fans you'll ever see in the world I mean I I went to uh the Marlins game and uh the Marlins Mets game back in September it was actually the um the second game after uh, Jose Fernandez uh, died, and they right. did that the whole you know the 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 big memorial to him, and they were playing the Mets, and there were more Met fans in that ballpark than Marlin fans, and it's just incredible to see how just incredibly loyal Met fans are, and just the long history. I think that all Miami teams unfortunately lack that because they are such new teams, and since right. you know we're kind of known notoriously for selling all, our be- all, all of our best players, it's hard for fans to just invest in their team uh, emotionally because we know that we're going to face dis- disappointment the following season. Right. Don't worry, Amy. In 2003, me and Dave were Miami Marlins fans, as uh, I believe you played well, the Florida uh, Marlins. Hey, get that right. They were the Florida Marlins back then. They were oh, Florida can I just Marlins. say that I hate – I mean, as much as I love Miami, I – I love the Florida Marlins logo, the whole, you know, weird, all of the different type of fish and the whole rebranding was not a fan of, you know, they won me over. I have no choice, but I was very, very towards the, I like the old logo. I like things the way they were. Why change it? It was like my grandpa's point of view. God bless his soul. I did not want it to be changed. (laughs) Well, the colors are awful. Not for nothing, but the, the logo's awful. The colors are awful. Um, that that monstrosity they have, what is in left center field, you know, the home run thing. That that. Oh come on, you don't just, love it. The cat loves it today. Oh my gosh, that thing is that thing is awful. I can't even believe it. You know, people say that the apple at, at Shea Stadium back in the day was corny, but my goodness, that thing is just an ugly, horrible monstrosity. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that, uh, that that Joe wanted to touch on something, so I don't want to cut him off before we we go veer off into something else. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Fernandez, and that was a, a such a heartbreak on many levels. Uh, when that story broke, um, I mean, what was your initial thought? And when you found out what actually was the result, how did you feel after? 
So that story broke um, the day after my wedding. So that oh, was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my entire family was home from, you know, I, my wedding was in Long Island, on Long Island, and my family was here from from Miami. We're all, you know, we all grew up watching baseball as good Cubans that we are. So <laughs> of course. Uh, my husband was actually in the restroom. And he had just finished his fantasy league, uh, his baseball fantasy league, and he screamed. And here I'm thinking, oh, he, he won. He won the fantasy league. We are going to go on a nice honeymoon with all this nice Oh, jeez. And um, he, he kind of broke the news to me because I didn't have my phone on me. I'm known to have all my ESPN alerts. I didn't have my phone on me for obvious reasons. And um, it was such a downer, I will say. Like, that mm. that morning breakfast wedding morning breakfast every single person was talking about it and um afterwards you know i had to turn on the news and i watched that press conference live and it was extremely heartbreaking and uh interestingly enough um one of my girlfriends that was there from miami went to school with uh the two guys that were in the boat with him so oh, that wow. was a little bit more personal to us because you know we were from the same town um, I didn't know the guys personally, but we were, you know, we were from the same area. So it was like, you know, friends of friends of friends. And I probably seen them one too many times, you know, at parties and local events. But, um, yeah, it was, it's something that even now, you know, I recently came uh, from vacation. Obviously, uh, we'll talk about this later, but I was in Florida just last week and it's still the talk of the town, you know, almost. Oh, wow, you know, really? Six months later, it's all people talk about, especially now that, you know, we're getting back to that baseball season. And, you know, his baby has been born, and apparently his baby girl looks just like him. So everyone, you know, you go to the little coffee shop, and the old school Cubans are having coffee, and they're talking about, you know, how great of a baseball player he was and how different the season would have been if he would still be alive. And, you know, his loss is still felt very much uh, in, in Miami. Well, of course. I mean, you know, he was a, he was a very talented baseball player, a uh, great pitcher. I mean, the Mets always had trouble with him. If I'm not mistaken, didn't the Mets play them? And they played them immediately afterwards, um, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that right, sir? Didn't the Mets play the Marlins right, right when that happened? Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, was the game did, I was at. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah, because I remember, I remember, I think Gordon, the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, D. Gordon hit a home run like the very next day. And I remember he broke down when he when he crossed home plate and he was crying and stuff and yeah, it was kind of a big was, deal. Yeah, it was um, one once again. It was one of those moments that you know baseball is just it's a movie writing itself. It, you can't make it up. Yeah, I mean it's just a shame. I'm mean, again finding out afterwards what happened. Just just an absolute shame. You know the reasons or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day. You know, I always think about the kids. I always think about, you know, the family and stuff like that. Again, being a parent now, um, you know, two kids, one on the way, I think about that, and I'm like, man, it's just so sad that this child will not grow up with her father, you know, ever. She'll never know him and et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, you talk about him as he, he was a great baseball player, uh, which he was, again, a great pitcher, just an ace, you know, all around. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is family, you know. I remember – um, in in 2006, when the Mets lost in the playoffs, um, terribly, you know, terrible loss at the time, and really they they should have beaten the the Cardinals. They would have won the World Series just like the Cardinals did, where they you know swept the Tigers because the Tigers were just not good. 
And I, just, I always thought about that. And I remember the year later, the Mets had this huge collapse. I took all my stuff. I threw it in, in a pile in my room. Um, this is 10 years ago now. And I, I, I literally contemplate setting all of my Mets memorabilia on fire and burning it and throwing it away. The reason I bring that up is because once I finally kind of calmed down and, you know, talk myself off the quote-unquote ledge, I started thinking to myself, and I talked to my cousin who was a big Mets fan, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, there's more important things in life than this, than sports. There's just more important things than, than you know, the Mets losing or the Giants losing or whatever the case is, um, and, and that's family, you know, and obviously you being recently married, um, you know, Joe married a long time. I've been married a while. You know, we both have kids. And at the end of the day, no matter what happens, like, that's really what it all kind of comes back to for me. So, so that's what makes it the Jose Fernandez situation especially tragic to me because if he was a single guy with nothing going on as far as that goes, it's just a terrible sports tragedy. But when you look at it from the overall perspective of a human being and a sports fan, it becomes that much worse. You know what I mean? Oh, especially. And then just also knowing how, how much of an impact he, and the re, the relationship that he had with his mother and his grandmother. And it's something that's, you know, you could watch in many of these documentaries and, you know, the 30s right. and 30s and those type of things. He was so close with his grandmother and his mom. And it's, it, I would just imagine I'm not a mother yet, but just the right. fact of seeing your child go before you go is just devastating. And, you know, when it's your, your grandchild, is even that much worse. Right. It's funny because, uh, not funny, but I was watching, my wife was watching something on Netflix and uh, it was about this tragedy that happened in uh, Oklahoma. Those, I think like three or four years ago, it was about a hurricane or a tornado. It killed a whole bunch of people and everything. And, you know, th- they were talking about that, you know, parents burying their children and stuff like that. And, I mean, to me, that's my greatest fear. Um, it's always been my greatest fear. And I think about it sometimes a little bit too much. But, you know, all that other stuff you kind of, you know, think about. And, and it's true. At the end of the day, parents never expect to outlive their children. You know, um, my parents, when they first got married, you know, their first child ended up, uh, you know, passing away at six months. And, I, and I, you know, me being the youngest in my family, I didn't hear about that so much later, but I remember kind of going to the, every year with my mom, going to the cemetery and, um, you know, going to see a brother I had never met. Um, you know, that, that always kind of stuck with me and it's something that's always a big deal. You know, my mom, she would tell me she thought about it every single day. So I could only imagine, you know, what his mom or his, his grandmother, like you said, which makes it even that much worse, you know, being there, seeing that, and then your grandchild passing away. It's just, just terrible, terrible, uh, tragedy. And it makes you just look at the frailty of life and just kind of really, um, now I'm thinking about just the way things kind of work out or whatever. And, I don't know. It's just interesting because Joe and I, before this interview, he had he mentioned the Jose Fernandez thing, and, and he's like, oh, should I ask? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could. But I was kind of like, oh, let's just stay away from that. And then you happened to bring it up, and now we've pretty much veered off into, like, totally morbid territory where, you know, we're talking about these terrible news stories, and then somehow we, we were talking about this now and, you know, the tragedies in life and then it's like all right hey now let's talk about wrestlemania 33 and the undertaker losing to roman reigns or whatever the case is so it's just kind of like one of those funny things let's that just keep the darkness this... coming oh yeah of course one of those things that joe and i always talk about you know transitioning like how do you transition from one thing to the other i think in all of our interviews i don't think we've ever touched on like so many sad things and I don't know what it is, Amy. I don't know what. It's the reality of life. It really yeah. is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it's just interesting, you know. Yeah, and since there is no real segment, a segue, because 
Uh, I think Dave, I think Amy has to get up in like five hours. If, if I'm not mistaken, she gets up at 5 a.m. We got to uh, well, no. talk a little bit about she's wrestling tomorrow. before we. Remember, Joe, oh, she tomorrow. said she's you off guys tomorrow. Have, you guys have a break. <laughs> all right. So I have to get up at 5 a.m., all right, because I have to go to work tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, sure it's all about me now. So, uh, Amy, let's of talk about, the, about your vacation, about WrestleMania 33. First of all, you were there live, correct? Yes, yes. I was there live and center. I was at NXT. I was at WrestleMania, and I also went to Access. So it was a great, fun experience. I was going to say, wasn't it a draining experience considering the pre-show started at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and the show probably ended at like 12.07? So it was like about seven hours of, of just WrestleMania itself. How draining of a day was that in general? Um, you know, it is really, really tiring, but I will say I've, I've, I've heard a lot of fans, you know, um, complaining about how long the shows are and that it's too long and they should really cut it down some, at some point. I really enjoyed it from beginning to end. There was not one part that I was not, you know, connected or loved it. I think that it was just perfect the way it was. Maybe it's because it was my first ever live WrestleMania um, that I felt that energized, but I did... I, we decided we were very smart. We did nothing all day but WrestleMania. So I know a lot of people kind of, you know, go about their day and enjoy it, or maybe they do, they do access that morning and then go to WrestleMania. We made sure to just get as much rest as we could, you know, slept in, almost slept all day. And when we went to WrestleMania, it was just, you know, full full throttle from that start pre-show till the very end. Was there was there anything about this the the actual uh, event from like seven to about midnight that was really intriguing? I mean, w- w- we might as well talk about what they made as the main event, which was um, Roman Reigns against uh, the Undertaker. Um, I, for some reason, and I think Dave could probably explain this better than I can. I think sometimes um, when when you have such a long card like they did for about five hours. The crowd, uh, to me anyway, listening to it or watching it on TV, the crowd no, is usually dead towards the end of the pay-per-view because they've, they've been emotionally spent on some other events. So by the end of the night, with the last match, usually the crowd is really dead or, or some of the people have left already. So tell me how the atmosphere was inside the arena and uh, what you thought about the main event itself. Yeah, definitely. Well, for I, I will say the crowd was great. There, I maybe it was because it was that Orlando crowd, and they're used to that NXT, and you know they kind of live, breathe wrestling all year round. The crowd was very energized, even all the way till the end. And I, I hope it. I haven't seen it live. Um, on well, I haven't seen it taped on TV on, in the network yet. But um, even towards the end, you know, they were we were all screaming, "Thank you, Taker! Thank you, Taker!" Uh, many people were booing uh, Roman Reigns like crazy all the way into the of end. Of course. Um, so I wait think a minute, the wait a energy Amy. was pretty good. Yeah. Amy, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but were you booing Roman Reigns? I uh, I have a love and hate relationship with Roman Reigns. <laughs> so hopefully that is that you love to hate him. <laughs> Um, I was a big fan of of the Shield. I loved the Shield right. when you know they were going. Um, I do think I'm I'm part of the mentality, and I hate to say this. I, I, I as a girl, I find you know him very appealing. I will say, but oh, um, I sorry, I have to. But you know, yeah, I think that he was he was prematurely pushed 
to, right. to win the titles. I don't think that he was ready on the mic. I would have liked him to, you know, been a little, a little, so I would have liked him to perfect him more on the mic. I, I would have liked a little bit more training. I do think that he's a great worker. I think that he's really in into it. He's in it to win it. And I kind of feel bad because people hate him and love to hate him so much. And at the right. end of the day, you know, he has stuck around and he is paying his dues, I think, now more so. I mean, if you guys watched yesterday, he really got beat up <laughs> last night. <laughs> So <laughs> I think, you know, people will enjoy seeing that. Yeah, I, I was booing him, to answer your question. I was Good, booing that's... him. I, I wanted Taker to win. And it was very sad to see him go. They think they did it very well. Um, if he does finally go, I mean, we most people think that this is it. It was very well, emotional. There were a lot of tears in that arena. It's funny because Joe and I are like two of the only hardcore wrestling fans who are not fans of The Undertaker. I've never been a fan of The Undertaker. And not that I think he's terrible or whatever, but I've always been bothered by the WrestleMania streak. I'm, I'm, we're in the very small minority. I've always thought it to be totally ridiculous, you know, especially the last like 10 years where all he does is wrestle at WrestleMania and no other time in the year. You know, it's just to me, it's always been overhyped. But I remember when Brock Lesnar uh, beat the streak at WrestleMania 30. I was in my uh, I was in my bedroom watching it, and Joe was at his house, um, and I called him immediately, and we, we, we couldn't believe it. We thought there was going to be some sort of match restart, like it was a mistake. We, we, that's all we were talking about, conspiracy theories. Um, and then, of course, Roman Reigns being the second guy that beat him at WrestleMania. To me, I just, I think, I don't, I don't like the booking of it. I don't think it was booked well. I don't like that Taker lost on his way out, even though, again, I'm not a fan. I get it. He, I'm sure he probably insisted on it because he's a big guy protecting the gimmick, never doing interviews. You know, um, he's a throwback to, like, the 70s and the 60s and, and the early 80s and stuff of wrestling, you know, when these guys lived the gimmick 24-7. Um, so I've always respected that about him, and he's obviously probably the most highly respected performer ever only because of that. I mean, I'm a huge Shawn Michaels fan, but Shawn Michaels had a lot of personal problems and issues, and people hated him for a long time until he became a Christian and turned his life around. You know, Hulk Hogan, my all-time favorite, another guy who's had a lot of terrible negative things said about him. Never in my life have I ever heard anybody say anything negative about The Undertaker ever in any capacity. So, you know, fans respect him. Fans love him. I always thought he should have gone out winning at WrestleMania, the last one. Uh, And I, I severely think that Roman was the worst guy that they could have picked um, unless they're going to make him a full-blown heel and he's going to be a bad guy in turn, which, which I hope they do. Which it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing. Um, I don't understand the mentality of it because fans, like you said, Amy, fans don't like him. When he was in The Shield, uh, which he still dresses like he's in The Shield and the same music, ironically, but you look at him. The one thing I'll say about Roman, he does work hard, he, but he has a great look. He looks like what you imagine a professional wrestler would look like. When I look at Dean Ambrose, he looks like a guy that you would be doing a story on how he just got kicked out of a homeless shelter. That's what I look at when I see, that's what I think of when I see Dean Ambrose. I mean, I, you know, he does no muscle mass of any kind. This guy just looks like he walked out of a, a bar and, you know, walked into a WWE arena. But Roman has a great look to him. Um, but he hasn't caught on with the fans. The fans, the hardcore fans do not like him. Uh, pushed way too soon, way too fast, pushed at the wrong time. And by the, him, and I realize this is like kind of a long thing, but 
by him being the one to beat The Undertaker, to me, it puts him in an even worse situation because fans are going to hate him even more because this is the guy that the WWE chose to end The Undertaker's streak. This is a guy that has been prematurely pushed, and now he gets this ultimate honor. To me, it's just it puts Roman in a no-win situation because he really is supposed to be the top babyface in the company when you look at it. Yeah, and I will say that I think the the way that you feel about it is the way that many people felt at that arena. Um, I you know I looked around when when Taker left and all the lights came off and we're all walking out of of the stadium and it was depressing. You just felt the loss. It felt like you had just you know your your closest family member died and you just left the funeral. It was very depressing to leave after such a hiatus, after such a, you know, roller coaster ride, you know, the ultimate thrill ride as they named it and annoyed us all <laughs> throughout WrestleMania. Um, it was very depressing to leave because we all just said, this makes no sense. But it, it was almost like they gave us everything that we wanted, you know. We, there were so many rumors that the Hardys were coming back and they came back. You know, all, that was all, awesome. everything, uh, yeah, like all of our biggest dreams type of thing. We were all pleased until that point, I think. You know, even the women got the ultimate proposal that they wanted. So, oh, geez. I think that Please don't bring that end, up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think towards the end, it was just like they had to give us that little bit of disappointment. And I think it was just a way to push um, Roman and and give him that that push that he that he almost needed not that he needed it necessarily but maybe they felt that they did and most wrestlers do do that you know on their way out they try to you know push the other guy right yeah they definitely they definitely do uh but like dave said and like you said if this wasn't undertaker's last match and the way he symbolically left all his ring gear inside the ring and left uh and if this isn't undertaker's last match then then that's a poor job by Undertaker, poor job by WWE, because I thought that was the perfect send-off and the perfect way of saying goodbye without saying goodbye, because like Dave said, The Undertaker is just a, a guy that's a throwback that really doesn't do any interviews or stuff like that. So hopefully that was his last match, because he's only been wrestling at WrestleMania. I mean, I know, I know that a lot of For people a long love time. the guy, but, yeah, but the, the guy's only been wrestling one match a year. I mean, he, there's no storylines. He just shows up when it's time for WrestleMania. Um, enough is enough. I mean, I, I have a clip that says that, but it's, it's true. It's it's uh, it's time well, I mean, for the Undertaker to move Imagine on. he's been around since 1990. I mean, I not to age myself, but I was born in 1990. So this guy's been wrestling as long as I've been alive. It's it's been a long time. I think it is time for him to go. Well, there you go. Listen, you uh, <laughs> not, not for nothing, but um. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! It's funny because you talk about not aging yourself, Amy. Both, Joe and I are both older than you, so uh, you talk about aging. When you came to this country, that was the first year that Joe and I met, and I was a, I was a junior in high school, and Joe and I have known each other for 20 years and been friends for all that time. So, yeah, talk about aging yourself. I mean, Joe's practically on Social Security, uh, and uh, I'm on my way there, you know, Sorry, in guys, a couple I'm a years. Big, so. I'm a new fan. <laughs> Oh, boy. But so many things about wrestling and so many things about WrestleMania and everything. It's just cool to know that you were there. You mentioned the Cena proposal, and, I mean, to me, I just barfed him. You know, I literally just threw up uh, when I saw that. It just, to me, seems so staged, 
And this is not because I don't like John Cena, because I don't, total side note, but it just seems so staged, so fake. What I did like, though, is that he actually called her by her real name, which is nice to see that it, well, he didn't say, Nikki Bella, will you marry me? But he actually referred to her as her real name. Um, and, you know, that whole thing, and the girls were going crazy. I, I was asking Joe because I, um, my mother-in-law, we had, like, a birthday party for her that day, and, you know, I, I didn't watch WrestleMania until later. So I, it was her 75th birthday, so I told Joe, I'm like, are they booing Cena? He's, he's texting me updates. I'm like, is Cena getting booed while he's, while he's doing the proposal? And Joe said that, kind of, not really. So I was a little disappointed with the fans in Orlando for that. But, um, I mean, just so many different things about Mania. To me, the greatest moment, bar none, by far, not even close, was the Hardys returning. I loved it. I literally watched the intro when they came out like seven times in a row on the network just to hear the crowd reaction because they went ballistic. I mean, you were there, obviously, but to hear it on, on, uh, on the network, on TV, Amy, they just went so ballistic. It blew my mind to watch these guys come back after so many years, after Jeff had just said this week, that same week, there's no way we're coming back. That's not true. Those are lies. You have to go through this rigorous process, you know, to be in the WWE and, the, you know, the, um, the physicals and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds legit. And then next thing you know, you hear the, the Hardy's music. So that was great. To me, that was the high note. And then The Undertaker losing to Roman Reigns was the low note. So a lot of ebbs and flows well, to WrestleMania. I think, I think the most amazing thing, and just to give it up for them and, and their talent and just their capability, they wrestled the night before. You know, we yep. we, thought we were there, yeah. and we had people, and they had a crazy ladder match. And, you know, they yep. they gave, you know, they, they went on, they left with a big bang, and they were, there were rumors that this was going to happen because when um, when we we woke up, you know, to go to WrestleMania, there were um, these little pamphlets and these flyers in the windshield of the car, and it was the party's tailgate at WrestleMania. So right, right outside, you know, there was this tailgate party. So everyone kept on saying rumors, well, are they going to show up? Are they not? I mean, they're right outside. So just the fact that they wrestled and won after just, you know, wrestling the night before, I mean, wow, that's incredible. And they're not that young either. Right. No, they're, they're not. Probably, they're yeah. older than me. <laughs> they're, they're in their, um, what, they're older than all of us, actually. No, they're, they're what, 42, no? Yeah, they're yeah, okay. They're, they're a little older than me. Okay, you're right. I mean, and but, they're all um, wrestling yeah. many of these younger guys. Oh no, definitely. I mean, it must have been an honor for these guys to be in the same ring with the Hardys. I I, I think they should stop calling them the Hardy Boys because at this point they stopped being boys a long time ago. But I was always a big fan of Matt and Jeff, especially Matt. I always thought he was uh, you know kind of underrated as a performer. But to see all that was amazing. And then you see obviously they're, they're the Raw Tag Team Champions, which I mean nobody expects them to be there, and then nobody expected them. To win, you know, when the New Day came out, people were thinking, oh, the New Day is going to be in this match, and instead it was the Hardys. So that was interesting. But, um, again, there's so many different things we could talk about, but I know that, you know, at some point we got to go to bed. Um, Amy, just to get your take on something, speaking of the New Day and all that, I noticed that there was the whole superstar shakeup, and the New Day is now on SmackDown along with, uh, you know, I guess the bigger name people would be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and, and Charlotte Flair, who I thought, should have been on SmackDown all along. You see all these different, you know, moves and shakeups. Nobody really major per se. I guess the biggest person would be Bray Wyatt going to uh, Raw. Um, you know, you got The Miz and Dean Ambrose and stuff. Uh, you know, give us your take on that whole quote-unquote superstar shakeup because 
Joe and I have been saying for the longest with the two-hour SmackDown Live, they need new talent. They need new guys. When when the newer guys show up on 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 uh, in the WWE, I think the call-up should be more to SmackDown because they have such a small roster. Yeah, no, definitely. I, you know what? I'm not really this whole this whole shading things up thing has me very confused. To be honest, I was myself and just trying to catch up who's on where who's going to show up where I haven't watched tonight I was just kind of following on Twitter what's going on I'm going to watch uh, after we hang up I I hope that they do it I hope that they make it interesting I don't know if I don't know what you, your take is but the whole Bray Wyatt and um the Wrestlemania event with with Orton I did not like it I was not a fan of that storyline I felt like it went away too long the fact that Orton you know, kind of infiltrated the the Wyatts and then got revenge right, right. and, you know, the fire and well, all that stuff. I, listen, I thought it was hey. horrible. I hated that storyline. So <laughs> seeing what happened on Raw <laughs> yesterday with Balor, I'm a big Balor fan, so I'm interested in seeing what that storyline is going to be. But at this point, as much as I like Bray and I like his gimmick, I think it's getting a little old. So I want to see something well, new. All right, Amy, so let, let, let me catch up real quick. As far you, you touched on some interesting things. First of all, as far as you were talking to the two biggest Randy Orton haters of all time, Joe and I just have never liked Orton, never been a fan of his. I think he's gotten better with age, but I've never been a fan of his in any way, shape, or form. Um, I didn't like the, the storyline either. I like Bray Wyatt. I think he's a great promo, but his promos are very much circular. They're the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, and he talks a lot. Versus, say, The Undertaker, who had this great gimmick for so many years, but he barely said anything. And, in fact, when Taker started talking, he kind of messed up the gimmick in certain aspects, but he was never very much a guy to sit there and do 20-minute promos, which is what all Bray Wyatt does, basically, is 20-minute promos. So I hated the fact that AJ lost the title to Bray in the first place. I hated the fact that AJ didn't go into WrestleMania as a champ. I hated the fact that he was fighting Shane McMahon, of all people. AJ should have been higher up on the card. But the Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton thing, I didn't like it. I know that Joe wasn't a fan of it. He was making fun of it, as a matter of fact, sending me messages and stuff about it. But um, that whole thing of, you know, Orton didn't want to use the title shot by winning the Rumble, another bad booking decision, but that's neither here nor there. Having, like, 40-year-old Randy Orton win the Royal Rumble to me is ridiculous after having already won it. Then Ages gets the shot, but then he gets it taken away because uh, Randy says, yeah, I'm going to use the title shot. That whole that whole storyline was a complete mess, made no sense to me. And then their match at WrestleMania, which from what I've heard and, and read, the fans weren't that into. Um, I know Orton kind of got a mixed reaction the next night on, on SmackDown, uh, the, the next show, because, again, people do like Bray Wyatt. But I, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, it's kind of like enough's enough. I'm glad he's moving to Raw to do something different. But the fact that Orton is still the champion to me is like, ugh, Joe, uh, you know, you want to touch base on that? Oh, real quick, Finn Balor, just so you mentioned you like him. Um, he's going to be out for a while because he got a concussion on Raw yesterday from uh, Jinder Mahal, who I think stiff-armed him in the face or something. So, you know, for a, a small guy. I looks like yeah. a very bad whatever that was. Yeah. I mean, I'm not he a fan got a concussion, of and, yeah, uh, and he's going to be out a while, apparently, which scares me because he's such a small guy. He's already injury-prone to me. It's like they should just move him to the cruiserweights, but that's a whole other thing. So, Joe, you want to touch on the, uh, you know, the shakeup and the, your take on Bray and Orton? Yeah, I mean, Dave hit on a lot of things, and um, yeah, Finn Balor. I mean, the guy is like so injury prone. I, I don't know if he'll ever be a. I don't know if he'll ever make it because he, part of being a great wrestler is obviously 
staying healthy, and uh, he's definitely over with the fans. But for him to keep getting injured, that's a shame to hear that he's going to be out uh, for a while with the concussion. But uh, in terms of the shakeup, I, I I guess they tried something different this year, Amy and Dave. Like over the years, they when they split the roster, which I'm I'm highly against a roster split in the first place because. The, the talent is so thin at the top that when you have two world titles or one world title and a universal title, which is probably the worst name you could name another title. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> the Dolly Ranch title. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, oh, awful title. Yeah. yeah. So they decide, I guess, decided not to do a draft this year, and they call it Superstar Shakeup. And uh, you know, I guess it's okay to do it every year because you don't want to have the same people, the same storylines. Um, year after year because you need to freshen things up a bit. But to me, um, I don't know. I mean, they shook up the roster a little bit. But, again, Dave and I go through these periods of of wrestling. Like, we we like it, we hate it, and usually we we stop usually following it as much right after WrestleMania because it's just repetitive and the storylines are not that great anymore. I mean, we, we watched wrestling during the golden age of wrestling when, you know, we had, like, WCW versus WWE, and, you know, we used to love it because ratings were great and fans were really into it. Now they try to create competition. But the thing that really, I mean, I'm going way off track here, Amy and Dave, but the thing that really annoys me, and Dave knows this for a fact, is the fact that Raw is three hours, and most of it, I'd say close to 60% of it, is commercials. And the fact that... They go to commercial break during the match, sometimes twice during a match, is just a total insult to fans uh, that watch on TV. So from now on, I mean, I've been doing this for the last six or seven months. I DVR it, and I just fast-forward through it because I cannot stand that the WWE thinks that they could let me watch a match with two commercial breaks and then come back and have me interested in what's going on. That kind of stuff just turns me off completely, Amy. Yeah, and you yeah, know, I kind of do the same thing too. Sometimes I watch on Hulu, and if you watch on Hulu, they kind of already cut the worst parts almost of Raw that you don't really you wouldn't miss watching, or those matches that are just kind of pointless to fill time. And you know, b- back to the point of the uh, WCW times and and that that whole Raw versus WCW, I think that's kind of what they attempted to do with uh, the first, you know, dividing it and, and Raw versus SmackDown, even though we kind of have already seen it before. But they said, you know what, let's make that competition. Let's make this happen. And I think it did work at the in the beginning. And I think, unfortunately, they did not think that SmackDown was going to get as much higher ratings as it did. And I think part of the reason why more people were attracted to SmackDown is because it was shorter. And, you know, time right. has changed. People's uh, time is very valuable now. We're doing 100 things, and three hours is a lot to invest. So I think if they do, you know, move Raw to two hours, I think it would be better. Um, and then I think more so as far as the shakedown goes, they know that now that WrestleMania is over, people are less likely to watch. So what more, what more of a reason to stick around than us changing everything around? And I think they, they know that, and they're trying to keep us interested. We'll see if it works. Right, I agree. I mean, to me, the idea of three hours is way too much. It just goes on and on and on, never ends. There's a lot of filler, and just they still don't get everybody on there, whereas SmackDown is that two-hour, like, bam, 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 bam. It's just kind of hard-hitting, and it's that much more interesting. Um, but, again, you know, we, we talked about the superstar shakeup and everything. Um, the big the big notes on that, like I said, are, you know, Dean Ambrose is the Intercontinental Champion. He's on Raw. The Miz went to Raw. And Bray Wyatt went to Raw along with uh, Alexa Bliss and Mickey James for the women's division. 
Then when you look at, um, and there's a bunch of other guys that nobody cares about, like Apollo Crews, et cetera. But then when you look at SmackDown, they're getting Kevin Owens in the U.S. Championship, uh, depending on if Owens beats Jericho for the, and he retains the title at the next pay-per-view, which is payback, whoever wins the U.S. title, whether it's Jericho or Owens, they're going to be on SmackDown with the U.S. title. Sami Zayn is over there. They got Charlotte Flair, like I mentioned before, and the New Day, um, along with Rusev, who's kind of been, you know, in mid-card hell for a long time. But, you know, those are the main things. Oh, and the biggest move of the night, Amy, got to tell you, that just just absolute main event, the oh, big time, the, the biggest stars <laughs> in wrestling history uh, switch shows where David Atunga is now going to be commentating on Raw, and Byron Saxton is going to be commenting on SmackDown, which is just, I find it so fascinating that they basically just switched the same guy onto the opposite show, which makes no sense to me because they play the same role. They, they it, it just... I mean, it just makes no sense. It's like you switch two cousins and they just put them on opposite. They just flop shows, which I know you're heartbroken about that because I'm they, sure you're a huge been, fan of both they've guys. They've been trying. I mean, they they keep switching uh, commentators. I feel like for a right. while. Yeah, but this is just awful to me. Uh, it's, I guess it's in keeping with the WWE. And I remember when they drafted I mean, like, King I over to just one show. I mean, sometimes I on mute and just uh, you know commentate myself. <laughs> Well, that's pretty interesting, Amy. You know, I tell you this, uh, I know Joe agrees. This has definitely been an all-over-the-place, in-a-good-way interview. We talk pretty much about anything and everything, which is the signature of our show. We talk about absolutely everything. We did sports. We did politics. We did wrestling. We did world news, current affairs. I mean, you know, the only thing we probably didn't touch on is the economy, but the, we can save that for another time. Amy, uh, you know, really has been a pleasure. We thank you so much for being on the show and spending so much time with us. This is probably one of, if not the longest interviews we've ever done. So we thank you so much uh, for being on My the show. My pleasure. It's, it's Sorry really for a pleasure. talking your ears off. <laughs> no, no. I, no we definitely, love it. again, we, we, yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. You pretty much covered all of our topics. So, so thank you very much, Amy. <laughs> Hopefully we can have you on again soon. I mean, if Joe ever decides to quit, I mean, you could always just be on, you know, the co-host of the show. It would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Watch out. I, 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 I may take your job. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a good night, Amy. Have a good night, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Folks, that was the one and only Amy Rodriguez from the News 12 in the Bronx. Sir, I mean, that literally, we covered absolutely everything. There's nothing that we could possibly talk about, so we may as well just end the show right now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but I mean, if we do have a show, hopefully we do have one. More regularly, and hopefully next week we could definitely hit on well, some four other months things. That... Now we'll probably we'll probably have a show, so why not? <laughs> yeah, we'll see you when uh, I guess your your next uh, your next baby's born. <laughs> oh yeah, you make a dog sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do a live uh, pure gold show uh, in the delivery room when the baby's born. That'll be great. I'm sure my wife would love that. Um, there you go, folks. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. I'm getting a dirty look right now. Uh, oh, woo! Well, pure gold style. <laughs> Thank you so much. Just a great show tonight, sir. Honestly, I think that was the longest interview we've ever done. And I didn't even realize uh, what time it was until my kids started coming out and wondering why it was taking so long. <laughs> According to my oldest daughter, she said it took about 1,000 minutes. And she's wow. not, too, not too far off. Uh, but anyway, folks, thank you so much. And uh, here What's we go. What's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold. Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Yes, we are, sir. It's been a pleasure. Yours, of course. I'll talk to you in four months. You got it. <laughs> Have a good one. Woo!